Today's guest is Brittany Turner. She is beyond interesting. We had such an interesting conversation. She is an expert on all things business and social media marketing specifically. Wide spanning conversation, but among those among the subjects we talked about, we chatted about mindfulness and balance in your life as an entrepreneur, which is something that a lot of us struggle with. What her process was going from working in a full-time job to taking the plunge to working for herself full-time, becoming and maintaining the status of being a social media influencer, specifically as like a business influencer, which is what she does, and uh, just general social media marketing, building a following, maintaining it, that kind of thing. I asked her so many questions that I, I personally was curious about, and then just things that I thought you guys might be interested in as well. She's a fascinating person to speak with. I hope we get a chance to talk again. Here's her, her bio, I'll read it to you quickly. So. Brittany Turner is a multifaceted digital entrepreneur who moved from Chicago to New York four years ago to pursue her dream career of working in fashion and beauty. She loves to empower women through her lifestyle blog, which is called It's Brittany Nicole. But more recently, she's added two additional layers to her brand. One of them is her podcast, which is the currently Boston podcast, which is where she chats with other women entrepreneurs about all their strides that they've made within their industries. And then the newest layer of her brand is her digital agency. It's called The Boss Up Inc., which is where she coaches content creators and entrepreneurs on how to boss up and elevate their social media presence. All entities of her brand work together to uplift girls and women alike uh, to go after their dreams no matter what the obstacles might be in their way. She's currently offering a one-to-one coaching program on her website, thebossupinc.com, that is. Uh, and you can also get her Not Your Average Pitch ebook there too, uh, which is a really cool resource that you should check out as well. We chat about that a little bit in this episode as well. Anyways, I hope you all enjoy the show. She's an awesome guest. All the links to her social media, her website, everything all in the show notes. So uh, go take a look at those for sure. Thanks again, Brittany. Brittany Turner, how are you? Good. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. I'm excited to have you on. I, uh, I was looking through your Instagram feed this morning and I was just blown away by how like aesthetically pleasing your whole feed is. I don't know how you managed to do that, but as a designer, like that's so impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like it's taking years of practice. Has it? Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about your Instagram following, your social media following. How did you get started doing like influencer marketing? How did you get to, to do what you do now? Yeah, so it all started back when I was in college in 2014. I started a blog that was mainly for uh, women empowerment. And then I was like, you know, I should probably have a separate blog that more so talks about like the things that I want to talk about, like fashion, beauty, etc. And so really from there, like I decided to go full throttle with that. But it wasn't until I moved to New York about five years ago now, which is crazy that I was like, okay, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of people who are actually doing this and they're you know making a way for themselves here in the city and so since then I've completely found my niche I've started to evolve and of course transition my passion to be more so of this girl boss but also infusing self-care into my followers lives into my daily life and showing them how I go about doing that and so that's pretty much how I started to evolve my platform. I've been able to work with a lot of cool brands like WeWork and Sorel and Google Home. And so it's been really exciting to see it start from like this little tiny thing to now this amazing platform where I'm able to inspire women all over the world. So you, you mentioned like these brand deals. What is, how does a, 
how does someone who wants to get into doing what you do get started? Do you have to have like a certain size following in order to do that? I've actually never dipped my toe into this world at all, so I don't I really don't mm. know much about it. Yeah, so a lot of the women that I coach who are content creators, they actually don't have a huge following, but I feel like it's all about the way that you foster the relationships with these brands. Because sometimes people forget that there's a human behind the brand, there's a human behind that computer that you're sending that pitch email to. So the way you work is to make sure that you are taking, you know, note of what the brand needs at that point in time say for instance right now a lot of brands are struggling with content because they're not able to have their regular shoots because of COVID so if you could pitch to them what your value would be in working with them and the ways that you can create a long-term partnership that's what's really going to set you apart and that's what's really going to help a brand to say like oh Brittany I remember her she said that she can do all these things like let's work with her on this upcoming campaign and so it really is all in the pitch and how you keep up with the people that you're working with at those brands. So one of the things you said there was that content is a struggle for some people right now. So mm -hmm. I guess that made me think, is part of what you're offering when you aren't, like is part of it not just the reach that you can offer with your, you know, your Instagram following that you have, but also, you know, what you are able to offer in terms of assets that they can use for their creative? Absolutely. So I feel like when it comes to these brand partnerships, it's turned into less of about like the vanity metrics. Of course, brands still want to know like what your followers and reach count would be so they can calculate ROI. But it's really about how you can bring that experience or that campaign to life. And so it's the visuals, it's how you speak to their your audience and how your mission and vision both align. And so they're looking for all of these things for consistent partnerships. It's so interesting. I've never heard about it from that perspective. So when you mm -hmm. were first starting out, do you still do everything yourself? Like if the creative aesthetics of, of everything are so important, did you have a designer helping you kind of put that together or like have an innate eye for design? How did that happen? No. So I definitely didn't have, I was doing it all myself at first. I think my very first website was on like webs.com or something crazy like that. But then as I transitioned, I realized that, you know, for the type of ideas that I had as far as creative content, I wanted to work with a photographer. So I've been working on my current photographer for the past two years. And it's been amazing to have someone to kind of push you and do those awkward poses that you normally wouldn't do yourself, or you'll feel weird doing it. And so that's been like my key investment. That's cool. So your photographer is kind of like a mini creative director for you. She really is. She like tells me everything like, oh, your hair looks weird, or that pose is a little strange, you might want to change it up. And so it's helpful to have someone to have that extra eye. So you have a, a ton of different like Instagram accounts, actually. I was like trying to mm -hmm. keep track of them. I, I found three, but I think you just <laughs> mentioned one at the beginning of this of this conversation for like a blog that I didn't see. What, what was your decision? This is something that I always struggle with too. Like when do mm -hmm. you create a new account for a different kind of content and when do you keep them together? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so when I started the Boss Up Inc. back in February, which is February 2020, which is my digital agency, I realized that although I love talking about influencer, influencer marketing and social media, I didn't want that to be the heart of my page. I wanted it to be more so about entrepreneurs, tactical things that they can put into place and self-care because that's more of my niche. And so I realized that we needed to develop a separate account that could speak more into those insights that advice that all of these content creators and entrepreneurs needed and so that's when i was like okay the separate page is going to perform well and in the past year we've almost grown our account to like 2500 which i feel like is great for kind of like a small agency starting out and so i feel like when you're at a point where you're like okay i feel like i don't want this brand to take over what i know at my core that i want to talk about on my personal page that's when you want to start directing people to other avenues that they can further tap into your 
company or brand or whatever your offerings are. Gotcha. And then you've also got this, uh, this podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. We're relaunching our podcast. It was originally the female millennial. We relaunched it to currently bossing podcast, which is going to be out actually in a few weeks next week. And so we really just work to transform it as the boss up has evolved. And so we're going to have some really great people on there to give insight on social media influencer marketing. So some people from Business Insider, Who, What, Where, and some of these other platforms and publications that can really give insight into what's going on and what to expect for 2021 and beyond. That's really, what are your goals with that podcast? Are you trying to use it as like marketing for your agency or what was your motivation for creating it? More so as an additional content pillar for the people who interact with our agency. So we just wanted to make sure that we can give them some additional resources from some people that are other than myself, cause I don't know everything. And so I'm like, if I could bring in some other experts to kind of like bounce ideas off of or grow in that way, I feel like that would be awesome. So that's what we're doing. Very cool. Can you, uh, for some people who, who might not be aware, would you mind breaking down what a content pillar is and how that helps people create large amounts of content? Yes. So when it comes to even like my coaching clients, I always tell them, okay, we need to de- define your content verticals. And so it's basically like the areas that you want to be speaking heavily about within your different platforms. And then once you kind of define like, oh, like I want to talk about fashion, beauty, but it's like, what underneath that do you want to talk about? So defining your niche underneath those areas. So I challenge them to say, okay, fashion, but is this sustainability? Is this, you know, affordability? What is kind of going to be your target? But once you kind of define those content verticals, then you can say, okay, what are my content platforms that I can continue to recycle this type of content? So say, for instance, you're seeing a lot of people recycle their TikTok videos on IG Reels. Although now on Instagram, you can't recycle them because you have to get rid of the watermark. Besides that, um, you're seeing people use their content in another way and on different platforms. And so similar for us and probably for you as well, you know, we want to use our podcast as one avenue, but we want to make sure that we can transition that podcast episode into social media assets, maybe a blog post, um, maybe a YouTube video, just figuring out how we can further maximize that content. That makes sense. So you're saying that, you know, the content pillar is like the large piece of content that you break into smaller pieces within the specific subtopics that you want to be, you know, speaking about publicly. Yes, exactly. I feel like I learned this method from Gary Vee. He talks a lot about like how much content you need to be producing a day on each platform. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we work so hard to like spin our wheels and say like, okay, like how can I come up with 10 pieces of content a day when really you can use that one piece of content and create the rest? Totally. Yeah, that's, that's a much more efficient route to go. Um, yeah. Since you brought him up, Gary Vee is, you know, kind of a, an influence for a lot of us in marketing mm-hmm. and entrepreneurs. Who else are your kind of like people that you look up to, take influence from? Who are you reading? Like, I'd love to hear some uh, some recommendations. Yeah, so actually what I'm reading now is this book called How to Get Shit Done by Aaron Falconer. And it's a book all about productivity for entrepreneurs. And so I'm already obsessed with the book. I've been reading a lot of books that are surrounding like entrepreneurship and mindset. And so I would definitely recommend that book. As far as some other people I love, I love watching Marie Forleo. I actually um, read her book a few months ago, Everything is Figureoutable. And I felt like it helped to put a lot of things into perspective and helped me to not stress out so much about the kind of smaller things in the day-to-day life and thinking about the bigger scope 
of what you're trying to achieve. Some other podcasts or just things in general, like are the Glossy Podcast. I love listening to Rachel Hollis, and those are just some people that I just love to go to for any business insight and social media influencer marketing. So one of the things you mentioned when you were going through that list is that one of those books, I couldn't remember which one, helped you kind of see the broader perspective of what you're trying to accomplish. You kind of talk at some length on your channels about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, like trying Mm -hmm. to empower people and uplift other women entrepreneurs. What does motivate you? Would you mind elaborating on that? Like how you've taken a lot of risks and done a lot of Mm -hmm. work and I'd love to know kind of what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, so it actually has taken a few months for me to kind of figure that out. But I feel like back in July, I actually quit my full time job. And so I worked as social media manager, influencer marketing for a beauty company. And my background is primarily in beauty. And so doing that to focus on my passion, which is the boss up and doing that full time, I had to think to myself, okay, how am I going to wake up every day and do this and not regret quitting my full time job (laughs) and really like taking a leap and working for myself? And so I really think about my morning routine and the different parts Mm. that I was letting into my world. And so when it comes to morning routine, I've come to the conclusion that it's all three parts. So what you're doing to fuel your mind, your body and your soul in that morning. And if you can master the art of pouring into those three parts, then that's how you can go about your day and really give 100 percent into that. And so I always say anytime before 9 a.m. is like my time to myself to work on myself to maybe take that course to read more and to do all these things because when I give other people access to me before 9 a.m. it's just not good I'm not going to be able to fully go about my day and so I feel like creating a sense of balance and now having a team that looks to me for direction and guidance I'm like okay well I'm not going to let my team down and if I let them down then you know I'll be letting myself down and so forth so When I get up in the morning, I'm just like, okay, how can I work to serve my team and serve my community? And that's what's really keeping me pushing. So you mentioned that before 9 a.m., you don't let anybody, you know, get in touch with you. Does that include your personal life, like like people, like your family and friends and all that? Or is that really just only like business contacts can't get a hold of you before 9? It literally includes everyone. I'm just like, okay, guys, if you need me, if it's an emergency, definitely call. But if it's not, like I've definitely worked to set those boundaries and say, uh-huh. okay, anytime before 9 a.m., like it's my time, like I'll, I'll hit you up after that. And so <laughs> a lot of it's been like kind of like a everyone adapting to that new normal because, you know, how many phone calls do you get maybe like during the week and it's like, oh my God, I want to talk to you about this thing. And it's like, I haven't even woken up yet. Like I can't even process um, what's going on right now. And so everyone now knows that before 9 a.m., don't contact me. After 9 p.m., don't contact me (laughs) because I have to go to bed to get up at 5 a.m. the next day. There's a 12-hour window there where they get access to you. (laughs) Yeah, and if those are already booked, then, you know, we're going to have to set some time to to chat. Do you take like random impromptu calls and meetings or are you one of those people who's very like, you got to book a time in my calendar two days in advance? Like where do you fall on that spectrum? So I feel like early on, like when I first went full time, I was definitely taking meetings as much as I could on the weekends. It didn't matter. I just wanted to make sure I was being active. And now I've worked to set themes for my days. And so Mondays, I know that they're basically for my coaching clients. Um, So I have back to back coaching calls. Tuesdays, I've deemed them as kind of like my CEO days and or admin days. And so I work on all the not fun stuff like taxes and all that stuff that I would prefer not to, but it has to get done. Mm-hmm. And 
Wednesdays, I kind of have deemed them for content creation. So if I have like any deliverables for a brand or anything we're recording for the boss up, I make sure that I do it that day. And then Thursdays and Fridays are kind of some other scheduled days where I maybe take on some more meetings or, you know, am closing out with maybe like a team lunch or something like that. So I try to add some flexibility and some boundaries because I was really driving myself crazy. Definitely. I, I fall into that trap too. Uh, like I don't have it as structured as you, but I have like Tuesdays and Thursdays is like the only days that I'll take sales calls. And when I mm-hmm. set that up, that because when you're in a sales mindset, you're a totally different person than when you're like yeah. managing your team and all that. That's a lifesaver of a tip. One thing I could use some, some tips on, one day of the week that I would like to add to my schedule is like a dedicated content production day. Right now, mm. it's kind of like this where I just kind of like, well, schedule it with whenever the person I'm interviewing is available, but I want to kind of get into more of like a, you know, self-recorded kind of situation. What tips do you have to get into the mindset to record content or set up, you know, your, your content production day? Yeah, I definitely always talk about bulk recording or bulk content. And so if you know that maybe like Wednesdays are your content creation days and it's just like, okay, I know Wednesdays I want to take all my photos or Wednesdays I want to record all my podcasts. And so that's kind of like the mindset that I could do going into it. And I feel like without that mindset, I would not have been able to record like 12 episodes before we launch next week. And so I feel like having that has really helped me be more disciplined, but also it's been helpful for me to kind of like streamline too and say like, okay, I don't want to stress about this. So how can I get ahead of it so that it's just on autopilot? So you recorded 12 episodes of your podcast before you released them. How did you decide to do that? That's an unorthodox approach. Yeah, I actually, I was watching actually another person on YouTube that I like to watch. Her name is Lavendaire. And she talked about how she bulk recorded her whole podcast season and I think a month. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Like, I didn't even think to do that. And so I set out to, I did all my pitch emails and then set up the recordings. And then I looked up and we had 12 to 14 episodes already recorded. So at this point, all I have to do is edit them and schedule them out. And I don't have to really think about them again, unless we're promoting them on social. So what are you looking for in guests right now? Yeah, so I'm definitely looking for just someone who has insight that they want to share surrounding either like helping college students, post-college grads, or just women who want to who aspire to be like their own boss or can aid in some advice around like entrepreneurship and how to land a job, especially like in a place like New York. How do you land a job, especially in the middle of a pandemic? What do you do for networking? And so we've been talking about a lot of those things. And so anyone who's willing to talk about that, I'm all ears. Awesome. Why college students? Why is that one of your target markets? So actually, I didn't think that it was until my brother, who's in college, he was just like, you know, one of my friends came up to me and said that she listened to this podcast. And I asked her, that sounds familiar. Who's who's the host? And he said, and they said you. And I was just like, oh, my God, I had no <laughs> clue college students listened to my podcast and that they could take something out of it. And so I know that May, June is quickly approaching. A lot of college students are graduating. A lot of them have been stifled of a full college experience for those who started last year um, in the middle of a pandemic. And so I just want to make sure that I provide some resources for them that they can tap into so they can know that, you know, it's still possible to do all the things that you want. You just have to figure out how to pivot. Absolutely. agree with that 100%. So what advice would you give, like just kind of broadly speaking to college students who want to take a path, maybe kind of like yours, where you no longer work for anyone at a pretty young Mm -hmm. age to be doing that? Yeah, you know, I always say to really shoot your shot via dm i mean of course linkedin is definitely the king of all of that 
career, but I've seen a lot of people get jobs from TikTok, from Instagram, from being able to fully access the person that they want on those platforms and being able to show them like, hey, like, here's me. This is what I do. Like, we'll love to explore this opportunity. And even myself, some of the things that I've gotten has been through social media and then from social media word of mouth. And so how can you leverage your network that you already have? And how can you set up those virtual coffee talks and things like that when you know you can't really meet in person? So you have to be vocal if you want opportunity. Well, it sounds like you're recommending that people start working for someone and then kind of transition into into working for themselves because of the way you phrase that. Was that intentional or do you recommend that in general? So no, not necessarily. I think that if that's your way to go where you kind of like want more experience beforehand, I think that that's definitely the way to go. But if you want to start working for yourself, I say work on building your platform. And so I always recommend for businesses or any new entrepreneurs um, that want to kind of like grow and scale, I say Instagram is definitely a great vehicle to start, but also TikTok. I've seen TikTok transform so many businesses and get so many entrepreneurs and small businesses exposure that they need. So the more you can pour into those platforms to reach your target audience, I think it'll be kind of like a seamless way for you to grow. So TikTok's its own animal, and I want to ask you about that too. But beforehand, uh, what are some ways that you're seeing people successfully start to build their own platforms on Instagram now? It's probably changed a little bit over the years, Mm -hmm. but what growth tips do you have for for people who want to get into the position that you're in where you're able to do brand Mm -hmm. deals and then that was able to sustain you to the point where you could create your own company? Yeah, I say, you know, eliminate the belief of you having to have like a certain vanity metric and think about community first. So each day when I post on Instagram, I think about, okay, how is this going to impact my community? What value and resources can they get from it? And I feel like when I think about it from that perspective, it feels a little bit more filling and it ends up performing better than I thought it would perform because I'm actually giving something to my audience instead of thinking about what I'm going to get from them. And so I feel like when you do that, a lot of brands have kind of just creating more community driven campaigns and getting them more involved in like either like what we're doing for product sourcing or what we're doing for our next campaign. And when you do that, people will be loyal to you and they'll continue to follow you on your journey. So be open to establishing authentic connections with people on social and you'll see that traction start to grow for you. So you're saying that if you do the content right, then the rest will follow. You don't have to worry about the vanity metrics like followers, reach, engagement. If you just make content that people are gonna really love, eventually the right people will start to follow you. Yes, it's all about content, like the visuals, but also storytelling and the captions. What are you calling them to do? What is your offer? What's your call to action? Because if you just have like a caption and you're just like, okay, that's it. Then they're like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information, but it was nice. And then it won't really go anywhere. But if you can tell them more about you, your story, introduce yourself to kind of like your new followers, that's when you're going to see them start to open up to you and DM you and follow you outside of social media on your website and on your podcast and things like that. I've heard that advice before and it makes a ton of sense to me. The challenge that I have with it, right, is Mm -hmm. so you've got this content that people resonate with, but how do they Mm -hmm. find out about you if they're not already following you? Do you know how that happened or did it just happen to you and, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? Oh, no, I was just going to say definitely hashtags. I feel like having like a solid hashtag strategy is definitely key to getting exposure from other audiences. But also it's definitely, I've seen a lot of creators grow from being shared on 
other platforms. And so, you know, I've seen creators who have grown from being reposted in people's Instagram stories or reposted on other pages. And one of the creators that I'm thinking about specifically, she had 6K followers at the beginning of last year. And then now she has over 30,000. And that's just from other people sharing her content. And so that's how you are able to grow organically on Instagram. Now, what I will say is Instagram is putting this new thing into place where you can't share, you can't share content and feed content in your stories anymore. You can't repost. And so they're slowly, yeah. So they're slowly rolling that out, which is actually disheartening for creators who are trying to grow. And, Mm. um, you know, we've been pushing the whole share and save our content, but what happens when you can't share it now? And so it's, it's really frustrating that they're doing that, but I think it's also going to create more of a way for us to pivot and figure out, okay, how can I still grow organically without having to opt into the paid, which is what Instagram is trying to make us do. Yep. So you mentioned hashtag strategy as the primary mechanism for organic reach, and that's going to probably be more so if what you're saying comes to pass whether they get rid of the the story sharing i've heard different advice from different people about this like what do you recommend people look into for hashtag strategy i know it's like it's its own animal it's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it but at a high level kind of what's involved yeah i recommend that people so when they think about their hashtags they think about oh like what am i talking about in the caption let me make hashtags according to that but really you should make hashtags according to the visual and so even though in my caption i might be talking about entrepreneurial advice in my visual, if I am sitting in my living room and you know it's very aesthetically pleasing, then I'm gonna use more hashtags that are geared towards my environment. So home decor hashtags or apartment hashtags or anything that I'm wearing fashion related, just because I know that that is kind of what's gonna tie into more of reaching my ideal audience in that retrospect. And so definitely gather hashtags that are from your environment, maybe what, whatever you're wearing, what tools you have in your visual, because you have to think about it as kind of like a search engine. So the way that you would search for something would be like hashtags. And so I feel like when I came to that conclusion, I was like, oh my God, that's a great way to think about it. And another thing that you can do is think about, well, how would you Google something? Or how would you look at look for something on Pinterest? Use that as a sort of hashtag that you would do to gather your audience. Now, when it comes to hashtags, you shouldn't use anything that's too niche. So anything below like 10,000 uses, you definitely don't want to opt into that because you're not going to be reaching anyone. But anything over kind of like that 800,000, you don't want to be going above that. And that's uses of that hashtag total? Yeah, uses of that hashtag because it's a little bit, it's too broad and people think that the more popular hashtag is, the better when that's actually not the case. You want to use some that are location-based, environment-based as far as like pulling it out of your visuals and then audience based. So if you're wanting to research, get more millennials and things like that, or for me, like I use the hashtag NYC bloggers a lot because I'm here and that's my community. That's what you want to think about. That's super insightful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to be passing that on to my, my social media team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll see it when they edit this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what about TikTok? I mean, what are your thoughts on that platform and how to succeed there? I don't think anybody truly understands that beast of an algorithm yet, but is there anything that you feel like you've noticed that you know new content creators should be aware of? Yeah, so as a person who's grown their TikTok from 3K to 23, almost 23K in under two months, I feel like I have been able to master what it is that really works well on TikTok. And so I think that when it comes to TikTok, people are not visually telling a story. So it's either like, you know, either you have to be sharing something insightful 
sharing something that's really funny or sharing kind of like more insight into like your daily life. Like people like to follow you along like a specific journey. And so once I realized, I think I started off TikTok by sharing social media advice. And I felt like that wasn't sustainable for me because I didn't want to get on TikTok talking about that all the time. Um, And so I started sharing my daily life and that's what I found really resonated with them. And I ended up getting uh, one of my TikToks got over 100,000 views. And I was just like, okay, this is working. Let me do more of this. And so I feel like it's something that Gary Vee talks about. Like if you see something that works, don't try to reinvent the wheel, figure out how you can produce more of that type of content. So hashtags definitely play a good part on TikTok. Definitely use about four to five hashtags per video. Two hashtags should be from the same niche. So that would be like me using the hashtag girl boss and entrepreneur. And then two other hashtags should be from the another niche. So maybe that's day in my life or in morning routine. So when you do that, it helps to maximize your videos and reach that audience that you want. Definitely use the trending sounds because that's what's gonna help you reach more of that audience and for your TikTok to end up on the For You page. That's super cool. Okay, thank you. Do you think that there is any hope on TikTok for businesses that are less lifestyle-y, more like business-to-business sales? And I know most of your clients aren't in this space, so maybe maybe I'm asking you a question that I shouldn't be. But I mean, like, if you, I guess my business is a good example, like mm-hmm. uh, like web design agency. It's not really mm-hmm. a really trendy kind of cool thing that kids are really interested in. You know, is there hope for a, a brand like that on on TikTok or even things like management consulting or things like that that are a little bit more dry. Do you do you recommend that those people still try it? If so, how? And uh, love to hear any tips. Absolutely. So I feel like when it comes to web design, like people want to see the process of, you know, how you started something and then what's the finished product. And so if you can take people through a specific journey, then they're going to be invested and they're going to want to see like how you transform the next website or what are some key tools and practices that you put into place to have the most optimal website. And so I see a lot all the time of like people showing like maybe like graphic design and things like that and how they transform this to be this. So I definitely see some growth there and I definitely say go for it. As far as like maybe like management, I think that I um, follow this career page and they always start the week with like three things you should be doing for your career this week. So maybe like something in that style where you're saying like this is what you should be doing and this is how you can do it is going to be more tangible for them to like put those practices into place and say like, oh, like that's good. I never thought about that. So I feel like anyone can pretty much thrive on TikTok. What I will say is that when it comes to creating a business account on TikTok, some of the sounds aren't accessible to business pages. And so you might want to sign up as like a creator account instead so you can have access to those trendy sounds. I'm not really sure why they don't really allow certain businesses who are just starting out to have those, but that's something to think about. That's good to know. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. So so maybe more from the, you would uh, run your account as like a person in the business, like maybe the marketing director, the owner, or whoever it is, and establish a personality and a following there rather than, you know, uh, the sure agency page. Yes. And you can mix it up too. It could be a TikTok that's just like visual. So where you're kind of just like putting the facts on like the overall visual. That's what we do for the boss ups TikTok. But we definitely feel like a human element will work in your favor as well. So I want to shift gears here slightly away from the technical Mm -hmm. stuff, even though I could talk about this with you forever. This is super interesting to me. Another part of your brand that you really spend a lot of emphasis on is mindfulness, balance. I just saw that you started a a new series on YouTube, like The Balanced Boss, I think you called it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cool name. Uh, Tell me about where your passion for that comes from and uh, how you got started on that journey. 
Yeah, so in the past six or seven months, I've definitely went on this journey of mindfulness and trying to figure out how I could live a life that's more sustainable to being an entrepreneur and having to pour into my team and the business each day. And so I definitely went to a rabbit hole of watching different YouTube videos on mindset, reading so many books. And I was just like, all of a sudden, I was just this new person that I wasn't a year ago. And I really wanted to make sure that I transitioned that me evolving into my different platforms. And so YouTube was definitely one of the platforms that I thought about. So it'll definitely be an eight part series where I'm going to take you through how to be mindful, uh, how to fuel your mind, but also your body, have a more minimalistic approach to things and to allow yourself to be balanced in that retrospect and do things that make you feel grounded. And so I'm really excited for that. And I have also realized that with a lot of my clients, a lot of them are scared to take risk in their businesses because it's mindset, it's limiting beliefs, it's them feeling like they can't do something or what will my friends think or what will these people think if I start posting this or sharing my business. And and seeing how they feel about themselves when they're doing such amazing things, I was like, wow, that quote is really true. It's, I think, I don't want to butcher it, but I think it's like, you know, success is 80% psychological and 20% skill set or something like that. So yeah, that definitely made me think about it more and made me want to bring it to life. That point you made about people kind of being afraid to, uh, to post because their friends follow their account and stuff, that's so mm-hmm. real. Like I, I remember when I was like first starting my agency way back, I wanted to post about it and and do that kind of thing, but I was just too nervous and I didn't have enough confidence. It took me several years before I was comfortable to do that. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. hearing you say that having come from the opposite side of things where you kind of had your influence first and then Mm -hmm. you, you know, created your, your business second. Did you kind of still face that? I guess I'd call it like imposter syndrome when you made that Mm -hmm. transition or were you already like, I'm already killing it. I'm just ready to commit. Yeah, I definitely did. It was more so from a fact of, them or people saying like oh who does she think she is to have this agency or does she really think that she's knowledgeable in this area to be having other people talk about it that was something that I quickly had to get over because it wasn't getting me anywhere it was just I was holding myself back and so what I always remind my clients is that your friends and your family although they're great and they probably will support you they're not your target audience right like They're not ultimately the people who you want to be receiving your content or opting into your programs or anything. So why focus on them? I think that it's kind of just something that is going to hold you back in the long run and you're really not going to reach your full potential if you're worried about people who are not your target audience anyway. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) I remember specifically like uh, I made like this YouTube, uh, this Facebook ad and I was targeting, I don't remember who, but it was like me talking and I had bad lighting and it was like, I'd never done it before. (laughs) So I, uh, I promoted it and it actually did really well for me. It made me a bunch of sales, but one of my Mm. friends found it and he was totally joking. He did not deserve to get his head bitten off for like, (laughs) for like giving me crap for it. But he goes, he's like, Max, that ring light makes you look like a crackhead or something. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, I, I totally went off on him. I'm like, yeah, how much money did criticizing me make you or something? <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was funny. But like, I'm an once you start, and I'm sensitive about my stuff. <laughs> but like once you start earning from your content, then it really comes easier to ignore people. Absolutely. Because it's kind of like social proof, right? Like, all right. Yeah. I Like even when I started my first blog, one of my friends were like, 
oh, you didn't even tell us that you started this and like was kind of like mocking it. But it's the same person that years later, they're asking me, how do I do it? Or how can they become a content creator? And so sometimes the roles reverse, right? Like people might start off like not fully understanding where you're going with it but ultimately they come back full circle and say like okay now i see the results that you're getting from this so how do i get in how do i be a part of it and that's the mindset you you kind of have to have mm. what what other things like when you went like influence only to entrepreneur what other hurdles did you have to overcome either mental or educational or anything yeah i definitely had to overcome just people taking influencers who are creating businesses seriously. I think that sometimes misconceived notion is that influencers don't know how to fully run businesses. They're not really savvy in that way. And trust me, uh, being on brand side, I've definitely gotten some emails or pitches from influencers. And I'm like, who told you to send this? This is not the way that you're <laughs> supposed to talk to people. And so I, I guess I understand, but it's kind of just like that uphill battle of, you know, yeah, I'm a content creator, but I also have worked for five years in social media influencer marketing. And I have a lot of knowledge here. So I feel like I have every right to start this agency and to do this business. And so taking it's getting people to take you seriously but i feel like that's with anyone right like how do you get someone to believe in you and what you offer but it always starts with believing in yourself and if you're hesitant about your own offerings then people are going to be like okay i don't want to purchase from this girl because she doesn't even look like she is confident in her own abilities or her own work um so that's kind of where i had to like push the boundaries on mm -hmm. that is a really tough thing to overcome one thing that i really struggled with when i was starting out was hiring that was something that mm -hmm. i was like very nervous to do and you actually already have decent sized team. How did you approach that? What was your thought process when you were going into making your first few hires? Yeah, you know, it was a journey of having some terrible bosses um, and me really being like, I don't want to be that. And so uh, with my marketing manager, Caitlin, on my team, she's been with me for the past year and a half on another venture that I was working on. And so she's really been able to grow with the boss up. And so I really chose her to think about how I want to set up my team. And I said, how can I help you? I don't want to stretch you thin. So who do I need to hire? What do we need to outsource so that I can continue to help you grow in your position, but also maybe some other areas of personal development and things like that. And so having those touch bases with her to figure out how can I work to streamline what she's doing and help her grow, it really helped us to grow all together. And so she was maintaining our social and some of our clients' social. So we got a, uh, her a social media intern and then they were creating graphics. So it's like, you know, I don't want you to be creating graphics. So let's hire three graphic design interns. She was writing copy for all of our, our social and and our clients and I was like let's outsource the copywriter so it's just those things where I've learned along the way what the business needs and I've been able to pivot um, in that direction did you create like a formal business plan when you first started out like full transparency I did not but the I know some people swear by that being like a really critical part of the process some people mm -hmm. have hard stances against it where do you fall on that when you were first starting out and if you didn't, yeah. what, what steps did you take to make yourself feel more confident in the transition? So I created kind of a business plan. Did I follow it or did I ever refer back to it or send it to anyone? No. And so it, I was just kind of like, I think I created it just to kind of like brain dumped everything that I wanted come to fruition. But I feel like a business plan doesn't really come into its full play 
until you have to talk about to your business to other people. And so when mm -hmm. I started to have conversations with maybe people who wanted to learn more about the boss up to partner with us, then that's when I would dig in that business plan and um, pull from there or applying for grants and pitch contests and things like that. That's when that business plan will really come in handy. But I would say starting off, as long as you kind of are able to brain dump where exactly you see your company going in the next few months, and it could be like a very loose plan. But as long as you have like an idea, I feel like that's a good place to start. That brings me to something else I've been wanting to ask you about. So mm -hmm. you've recently created and released an ebook, which you're now selling on your website, thebossupinc.com. Um, tell me about your decision to do that and what was the process of, of making it like? Yeah, so I actually thought about my work as a content creator and how in the beginning I just could not crack the code with landing brand partnerships and mm. didn't even know how to go about pitching myself to brands. So it really wasn't until 2018 that I really started to see consistent efforts and that's because I changed my strategy altogether. And mind you, I've been being a, I've been a content creator since 2014. And so for me not to see real growth until 2018, it took a lot of me thinking like, what am I doing wrong? And so when I really thought about that process, that's when the game changed for me and I was able to work with brands that I like have dreamed of working with. And so that ebook is all of my secrets on how I've landed brand partnerships, um, templates that you should use to pitch to brands and how you should determine your rates and um, figure out what it is that you want to offer. And so I'm really just unleashing everything in that 12 or 13 page ebook that you can really use as a, a guide to help you get brand partnerships that you want to be working and that you deserve. That's super cool. Okay. Is it the kind of thing where it's for people who are already started and they're already like, and they're struggling with it? Or is it more for someone who hasn't even dipped their toe in the water and they're nervous and don't know where to start? I think both. It definitely can cater to both avenues. So, you know, I've had people purchase the ebook who have not pitched to brands at all yet. Um, and then I've also had people purchase the ebook who uh, they've kind of started pitching, but it, their pitches aren't really working or they're not landing it. And so I feel like, you know, after they've read through the ebook, they kind of have a better understanding of how they can approach it and how they could maximize off of those partnerships, too. Because I think one of the issues is that people think about a partnership as a one-off. But really, you should be thinking about how can I create a long-term partnership and make a brand see the value of having that. And so I have a lot of brands that I work with on repeat because they just love my content and I actually love working with them. So I'm not afraid to say like, hey, like any other campaigns coming up for the rest of the year, like let me know. And they always keep me in mind because I'm open to the opportunities mm -hmm. and I keep up That's with them too. That's really cool. I didn't realize that the same brand would work with the same influencer over and over again. When I think about it in my uh, uneducated brain about this, I would think, okay, so Brittany's got this number of followers, you know, other person has this many followers. I want to pay them mm -hmm. each once so I can hit everybody, you know, hit a wider reach total. Is it not mm -hmm. like that? Or is there like a frequency factor of it as well? So it's kind of like some brands just have like influencers that are always on, right? Like influencers that they know that regardless of what the campaign is, they always want to work with them because they enjoy working mm -hmm. with them. And so they might outsource to like some other influencers for that campaign as well, but they have like their core influencers that they work with all the time that are going to be a part of that initiative. So say for instance, I have um, a few brands that I've been working with for the past year, year and a half, and each time is just like something different. So like a spring campaign, or maybe we're talking about this, but I know that I can always count on them to try to fit me into the plan because I've made an effort to build a relationship with them. 
and I prove to them that I can turn in content on time. I can give them exactly what they're looking for. Mm. And so they know what exactly to get from me instead of going to try out maybe someone new and not really knowing what the ROI is that they're going to get from this person. So it's like Brittany's audience already knows us. Brittany knows the brand very well. Like we don't really have to brief her on what exactly to do. She can just do it and she can do it right. So why not keep working with her? That makes a ton of sense. But yep, mm -hmm. I get it. One other thing that I've seen you talk about on YouTube is that you've got like, you know, multiple revenue streams and you advise others in your position to, to generate multiple revenue streams. I'm not going to ask you to summarize the whole video, but mm -hmm. just kind of quickly, which of your revenue streams are like your favorite that you recommend new people kind of, if they are only having one revenue stream right now, like which ones would you recommend people look into first? Definitely digital products. So what can what revenue stream can you put into place where like you don't really have to push it that often it really just generates revenue for you in your sleep and so if you can have some type of digital product maybe like an ebook or um, a course that you've already done pre-recordings for and so people just have to opt in and to enroll i feel like that definitely helps you to streamline a little bit better and to focus on innovation so like if you have these active revenue streams that are already making money for you, then you can think about your business in another way and say, okay, what other program or what other services do I want to put into play that might have me be like a little bit more hands-on, but at least I don't have to worry about these other streams that are consistently working for me. Another thing is affiliate. So a lot of bloggers have made, I mean, kind of like a second career off of affiliate links, like reward style and just sharing like more than like what they're wearing but like audio equipment what audio equipment am i using what camera am i using and when people purchase that and you get a commission and your link keeps growing huh. i mean that's kind of like you don't even have to worry about that so i've put a lot of my links to home decor and things in my TikTok videos um in the comments and each time i have a sale or something but i haven't worked towards that it's just out there in the world are and people are who are coming across the video they're also coming across the links that people have already asked for. You're just leveraging the the following that you already have and just giving them the stuff that they're looking for and getting a, getting a commission from it. That's killer. Yeah. So just for anybody who's unfamiliar, affiliate links are when you know someone will provide a link to a product that they're not personally selling and will receive a commission for providing that link. So uh, mm -hmm. that's what Brittany's talking about here. That's a really popular way to, to make money uh, online. But it's tough to get into unless you already have that kind of following. It's smart that you're doing that. That's really cool. I'd love to get into mm -hmm. that someday. And I'm also yeah. really attracted to the to the digital product idea. I'm working on a, a course right now too. But for the same reason that you just described, it seems like it's absolutely the best way to to generate like passive income online. I don't know how passive it's going to be. I haven't done it yet, but <laughs> it seems like it's a it's a really cool uh, cool route to go. Yeah, um, for sure. I've definitely seen so many uh, other creators and just entrepreneurs have success in that. And it seems like, you know, if you, as long as you just have like a clear launch strategy, which I'm actually enrolled in this course by Boss Babe about all their launch strategy and set ad advertising into place, I feel like anything is possible for sure. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I haven't, I don't think I've thought enough about that. So I may have to, mm. to do some, some research on a, on a better launch strategy. I've just kind of been mm. making it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so curious, what does your coaching program look like? I saw like that you're doing one-to-one -one coaching, you're doing Facebook groups. I know there's a group setting involved. Walk me through kind of what it looks like to be inside your coaching program and what kinds of things do you coach people on? Is it typically people who are trying to be influencers, trying to be mm -hmm. CEOs? Like what, who are you helping? Yeah, so my coaching program is for influencers and content creators. And so 
it's either someone who is starting off as an influencer or maybe someone who has already established following, but they're not really sure the direction that they want to go into as far as like branching off into other platforms. And then for entrepreneurs, it's, you know, they're either creating a new business or they have an existing business, but they're just stuck. Um, I feel like a lot of businesses, they got stuck in the middle of like the pandemic and didn't really know how to pivot their social strategy and marketing strategy. And so we really just work with them each week to develop whatever it is they're trying to achieve. So I always tell them, you know, at the beginning of the month, give me four of your goals. And then we use every session as a working session to tackle those goals. So prepare templates for them that include like profit planning. So helping them think about like if they're an online store, what is all your inventory and how do you want to work backwards to make sure you're achieving your quarterly goals as far as sales or what products do you actually need to get rid of that aren't generating any sales at all? So kind of just like if you're giving 80% of your time to something in your business and it's only generating 20% of your revenue, then Mm -hmm. how can you kind of just like work smarter in that aspect and either like phase out that product altogether or come up with something more innovative or focus on your core product. And so I challenge them to think about their business in a new way, but I also use some of our sessions to think about mindset. And so I have some mindset prompts that I walk them through so they can actually visualize like, you know, how they want to see themselves in the next three months and what does that look like and what do they need to let go of and what do they need to pour into more. And so, What's an example of one of those? I'd love to hear. Yeah. So one of the questions asks them, you know, what do you feel like is holding you back? What do you feel like is blocking you? And when they think about that, they're kind of just like, wow, like me. Sometimes it's just me. I'm holding myself back. Huh. But I take them through like a series of questions to help reinvent their mind and to help them get in a place of, okay, I am already doing this. So how can I keep doing it? And so Right now we have um, where you can opt into six months worth of coaching and you not only get our one-on-one coaching sessions, but you also get the monthly group coaching where you're able to talk to other members that are a part of the program. You get to be in our private Facebook group and then you also have um, access to some of our digital products that we have either for free or for a discounted rate. And so there's a lot of things that go into coaching, but I mean, a lot of the clients that I've had, they've been able to transform their business in a way that they never thought that they could. And so I just get a lot of excitement into in helping them do that. Awesome. Sounds like an awesome program. One one question to kind of jump back to your transition from kind of an employee with your own brand on the side and generating income mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. How did you decide that it was time to do that? Like you could have done it earlier or later. Yeah. So I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, when I was in the first grade, I used to uh, hire my friends to like make these bracelets and things for me during recess so I can sell them. I mean, they got no profit. I got all the profit, but it was just (laughs) kind of like my step into entrepreneurship. And so I had actually in 20, at the end of 2019, I made a tweet and I was just like, I will become a full-time entrepreneur by my 28th birthday. And so my 28th birthday rolled around last June. I was just like, oh crap. I said I was going to do this thing. I have to stick to it. But that whole time I was saving, I was saving, not really knowing like what I was saving for, but it was kind of like I was being prepared to take that leap and to know that I could do it and be okay. And so June came, I think a few days after my birthday, I put in my two weeks and I was like, let me see what I'm really made of. I feel like I keep talking about it. So let me hold myself accountable and just do it. And I felt like I hadn't taken a big leap like that. I moved to New York. I feel like that was kind of like my first real leap from moving from Chicago to New York. And quitting my job was my second leap. And now I'm about 
seven months in and I'm like, okay, well, I can still pay my rent, so it must be going okay. <laughs> That's a good metric of success if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Uh, so you held, you put it out there on Twitter and then you forced your, you like kind of gave yourself a deadline and then you just stuck to it. You held yourself accountable. I love that. Yeah. Um, Brittany, you're absolutely inspirational. This has been a such a cool interview. I've learned so much from you, both technically and mindset, which I think is probably a pretty good representation of your coaching program, uh, yes. to plug it one more time. <laughs> um, where can people connect with you? What's, what's the best way for people to stay up to date with you and, and follow you? Yeah, well, you can definitely follow us over at The Boss of Inc. on Instagram and TikTok. And you can follow me over at it's Brittany Nicole underscore on Instagram and TikTok as well. And um, thebossofinc.com for any of our services. We have some new things coming down the pipeline. So really excited. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Max. This is awesome.